Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 15. We're going to pick up the narrative in verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. They brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide which each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription on the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Amen. Please be seated. Recently I read an article that began this way. Mother Teresa was a living saint, according to the popular mind, compassionately coming and caring for the sick and dying and projecting a love that brought cynical secularists to their knees. But after her death, uh, even though the Vatican put her on a fast track to sainthood, a book came out that was published on her personal writings that showed Mother Teresa was racked with spiritual depression and a sense that God had abandoned her. To this, the atheist Christopher Hitchens crowed at the news. See, he wrote in Newsweek, she didn't believe in that Christianity stuff at all. Rather, she was a confused old lady who ceased to believe and whose service to others was nothing more than an effort to still the misery within. But even those that admired her most, this article wrote, were flabbergasted that this saintly woman who talked so much about serving Christ had such trouble feeling his presence. And we might think the same this morning. How is it that such a woman that gave her life in service to others in Calcutta, India, India was racked with depression? The thoughts of being abandoned by God We think, surely not. Or perhaps even we would think of 
Martin Luther or the great Charles Spurgeon, those that we would admire and yet we read biographies of both of these men and we recognize that they both experienced seasons of great depression, dark nights of the soul. And we think, how could this be? Men that knew so much scripture, so much theology, probably more than all of us combined. Should not such spiritual giants be, well, more spiritual? That's the common perception, is it not? It's common perception in the world and even amongst Christians today that if you're struggling mentally or physically or emotionally, well, then that cannot be of God. You need to just have more faith or you need to pray more. You need to cast those thoughts away. You need to be delivered from that affliction as soon as possible. As we come to this portion of Mark, this sacred and hallowed text, that of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that humiliation, misery, and affliction were not anti-God's will, but in fact part and parcel to it. But Jesus suffered in the worst way. He experienced distress and pain and even death. And he was not spared. He was not protected. Even that song that we just sang, Who is this so weak and helpless, gives four examples of Jesus' life where we do not see glory, but rather lowliness and suffering. There we sang, Born of a lowly Hebrew maid, in a stable sheltered, In a manger laid, he who is called a man of sorrows, walking sadly life's hard way, despised, rejected, mocked, insulted, who is this that hangs there dying while the rude world scoffs and scorns, numbered with the malefactors, torn with nails, crowned with thorns? And yet, did you hear how each stanza ends? This is our Lord. This is our God. And so, as Christians, we do not shy away from the cross. We do not try to hide it as some uncomfortable, unfortunate act that's part of our past that we do not speak of. No, like Paul, we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The cross is that which represents what we are all about. For here we see the true nature of our Lord and Savior. Here we see the true nature of salvation. Here we see the true nature of the Christian life. This moment that looks like utter defeat is actually that of greatest triumph. So this morning we'll see this in two points, this passage, the humiliation of the cross, and second, salvation through the cross. First, the humiliation of the cross, the last two looks, we looked at the sham of the trial that, quote-unquote, convicted Jesus. How six times, three times in the religious courts, three times in the civil courts, There were opportunities for someone somewhere to do what was right, and yet no one did. 
And so we read there in verse 13, or excuse me, verse uh, 15 and verse 20, that he was sentenced to death. As Pilate delivered him over to be crucified. And so they led him out, as it says in verse 20, to crucify him. And this was the sentence that was laid upon him, that of crucifixion. And the extent of the torture and abuse and cruelty that Jesus experienced is truly overwhelming. The dignity of the person was completely removed. There was no dignity given at all. There was no proper sense of self-worth extended to Jesus. All of it was completely removed. In a culture of honor, all honor was removed. And think of that, that this would be astounding no matter who it was. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one deserving the highest praise and glory, the one that should be exalted and lifted up. The one in which the angels cannot bear to see, but instead bow down before him, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. Yes, it is this one, that one that is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and is being wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. The one that is worthy of all honor, that now stands in this position. Sentenced to suffer. Sentenced to be humiliated in the worst way. Sentenced to crucifixion and to death. Yes, all of his life, from his very birth all the way through, was one of humiliation. But there is nothing more humiliating than what he experienced here in his death. And we see six specific humiliations that Jesus endured in this passage. And these six come and were pointed out to me by one of my friends. He's one of my dead friends. People always get concerned when I tell them I have dead friends, but I do. I have bookshelves filled with them. Through their writings, they still speak, and I'm helped immensely. And this particular friend, this good friend, this dead friend is J.C. Ryle. And he points out six humiliations that we see in this passage. And this morning you want to write these down. Take that pencil or that pen next to you or that's in front of you in your pew. And write these six down because you want to see these things that Jesus endured. Not only those things that he allowed himself to go through. But as we'll see, all of these things demonstrate the salvation that he was able to procure on our behalf. And the first we see that Jesus was condemned to death. There we see it at the end of verse 15. As Pilate delivers him over to be crucifixion. That was his sentence. And even though this sentence was unjust... 
sentenced he was, condemned he was. And he was given that of a death sentence. Jesus was deemed not worthy of living. A nuisance, a problem that needed to be ridded of. A menace to society. And he's given a criminal's condemnation. And yet Jesus took that condemnation upon himself. Not protesting, not objecting, but going willingly. Condemned to death. Second, we see this. He was endured and endured the insults and the mockery. We see it of the Roman soldiers and of the crowds and of the chief priests and the scribes. There's no compassion, no empathy, not even a bit of remorse or sadness on the part of those putting to death. No, there's just mockery and glee. We see it here of the Roman soldiers in verses 17 and 18. Remember that. Pilate sentences him because he claims to be a king. And so the Roman soldiers mock and jest and essentially say to him, well, since you are a king, then a king needs a a cloak. And they give him a purple cloak. Clothe him in this. And a king needs a crown. And so let's Make you a crown, O king. It says they twist together a crown of thorns and place it upon his head. And the king needs a scepter and they give him a reed. And then they take that reed and use it to strike him upon the head. Thus making the crown of thorns push farther into his skull. And they say, look, a king, worthy are you, O king they say in verse 18 hail king of the Jews they salute him and mockingly bow down to him failing to recognize that this indeed is the king the one in which they now mock and the mockery continues on the road to the cross as well as even on the cross. Third, we see the abuse received on the way. On the way to his crucifixion. All the way from his arrest to his trial. To his path to the cross is laden with the worst of abuse. We saw it with the religious council in the middle of the night as they inquire of him and as they put the charge of blasphemy upon him. It says in chapter 14, verse 65, that they spit on him, covered his face, and beat him. And then we see with the civil council the same. Pilate, again, wishing to please the crowd, had him scourged. This would have been by the hands of a professional Roman torturer who would have given him the 40 minus 1 blows of a whip. A whip with the cat of nine tails with little pieces of bone and glass on the end for the pure purpose of tearing and ripping flesh off of the body, 
Oftentimes, many would not even survive this scourging because of the result of all the blood. Furthermore, you see the strikes and blows by the Roman soldiers. Even as they wrapped him with this purple robe, which no doubt would have adhered to those open wounds on the back that he received from the scourging, and then they would strip him of it. Like a full body band-aid being ripped from the body, reopening again all of those wounds. In fact, it says that Jesus was so beaten and abused and as a result was so fatigued that he could not even physically carry his own cross because he was too weak. And they had to compel Simon of Cyrene to do it for him in order to get him to the place where they could crucify him. Fourth, we see the crucifixion itself. There was no more torturous death than that of crucifixion. With nails that would have been considered more stakes, pierced, not into his hands, but into his wrists. Between the two bones of the lower arms, precisely missing the main blood vessels, lest he bleed and get off easy. And then the crossbar would be attached to the vertical pole coming out of the earth, and there he'd be nailed through the ankles to that vertical post. And there he would have hung, only attached by nails the full weight of gravity pulling down. And then the worst of crucifixion would be that in order to breathe, one would have to push up upon those nails in order to lift up the rib cage far enough in order to take a breath until you became too tired in order to lift up. And ultimately one would die of asphyxiation a lack of breath, being choked essentially to death. It was a slow, torturous death. Jesus would have hung on the cross for six hours before death would mercifully have come. Fifth, we see the dividing of his garments as Jesus experiences this agony. Those soldiers that would be responsible for the actual crucifixion were passing time by essentially playing a game. Casting lots. For what? The clothing of the ones being crucified. Seemingly completely desensitized to what was going on. To the suffering, to the pain and the torture that was right there in their very midst. It's just merely a time to be entertained and possibly profit on the plunder of the crucified. And these garments were no doubt the last of Jesus' earthly possessions. Not even those two were being taken away. And so there he is dying, poor, naked, and all alone. 
6, we see the location of his death. It says that it took place at Golgotha, the place of the skull. In Latin, this would be Calvary. And it was called the place of the skull because either it was the place of death and literally skulls, or because of the mountainside, or the place where it took place, looked like a skull. But we know that this place was outside of the city, so as not to defile the holy city with death. It was a quote-unquote proper location for such a death, such an execution to take place. But this place would have been in a very public place, no doubt along a busy road for any and all to see, and that's what Rome would want, so as to instill fear in the hearts of all. And above his head would be that charge, king of the Jews. And there he was, hung between two criminals, perhaps companions of Barabbas. And there Jesus died. As a common criminal between two actual criminals. So we have six examples. The death and humiliation that Jesus endured and went through is truly staggering. And yet throughout this passage, Mark keeps this picture before us. That of a king. From the Roman soldiers dressing him up as a king and bowing down to him, hailing him as a king, to the inscription of the crime, the king of the Jews, to the very end, verse 32, where even those that mock said, let the Christ, the king of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. We have this language of kingship throughout this passage. And it's written in such a way that you can respond either two ways. In mockery and in jest and perhaps scoffing by saying, what a king. Or it is written in such a way that you can read this in amazement and glory and say, truly, What a king. He may not look like a king in this moment, but indeed this is a king. A king worthy of honor. A king worthy of glory. For it is through this suffering, through this affliction, he secured salvation for his people. And that is what we see second with our second point, the salvation that comes through the cross. Look again at those six things that you have written down. Not one of them is at random or by chance. In fact, all of these things were predicted beforehand. If we had time this morning, we'd go back through Psalm 22 that we read earlier in the service and see how every part of this was prophesied by David a thousand years before it took place. That every aspect of Christ's suffering is purposeful. And the purpose is to redeem a people for himself. To redeem sinners like you and me. 
All of this suffering was for naught, but it was for our benefits. Look again at the list. Why was it that he was condemned? He was condemned so that we would not be. But we would rather be justified. That we would be set free from every charge in the day of judgment. That we'd be presented faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. Why did he endure such mockery, such shame? So that we could be honored and lifted up. That we could receive glory that is not our own. That we could be named sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That we would receive a crown of glory that should never fade away. Why did he endure such abuse? So that he would be a sympathetic and compassionate high priest that knows every temptation, every trial, every affliction that his people have ever had or do have or will endure. So that he could say to each one of his children, sweet child, I too have experienced this. I know what you are going through. Why was he crucified? He was crucified so that by being cursed, we could be blessed. For the scripture says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He was counted a curse so that we could be counted a blessing for his sake. Through his blood, through his body being broken, we might be set free. Why were his garments stripped? Something that may seem like just a a minor detail just thrown in there. No, his garments were stripped so that we may be clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. Not standing naked and alone, but dressed in the garbs of Christ. The seamless robe of His righteousness. More beautiful than the most glorious wedding dress you've ever seen. Wherein, as J.C. Ryle says, we may sit down by the side of angels and not be ashamed. Why did He die in that place of death? Golgotha, the place of the skull, so that we may have life. And life forevermore. And so yes, go ahead and mock, you mockers of the world. You Christopher Hitchens types who sneer and think, what a king. Those that would say even as they did at the cross, he saved others, he can't even save himself. For they look and only see weakness and defeat and humiliation. But for the true believer, 
the true believer, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, hidden in the garb of weakness and defeat is true strength and victory. It is the place where Satan is defeated, where death is crushed, where hell is ransomed, where all the souls of believer, past, present, and future are set forth and set free forevermore. So yes, go ahead and mock, but I will glory in the cross. For you may look like a defeated king, but this is the king of kings and lord of lords. Not absent from the cross, but in the cross. This is my king. And this is your king too. For it is here that he brings salvation. It is here that he brings freedom. It is here that he brings redemption. And so the cross is forever a symbol of salvation to us that believe. And so yes, we glory in the cross. And it is also the symbol of the Christian life. It's the symbol of the Christian life. After enduring such humiliation, Christ was glorified. He was raised in newness of life. He ascended into heaven. He was seated at the right hand of God the Father and will return in glory. In other words, Jesus is humiliated no more. And one day we too shall be glorified with him. And that was secured to us by the cross. But if I can put it this way, we ain't in glory yet. We're not glorified. Nor should we seek glory in this life. As Jesus says, the servant is not greater than the master. The persecutions and tribulations that he endured, we will endure as well. And so yes, the Mother Teresa's and the Luther's and the Spurgeon's of the world, the greatest of the believers to the least, will experience times of abandonment, of depression, of dark nights of the soul. We will experience conflicts and problems and weakness and failures and trials and tribulations all the way to glory. And we should expect nothing less because this is the way of the cross. This isn't contrary to it. No, this is the way that Christ has called us. This is the path of discipleship. This is of picking up our cross daily and following him. We're called to be like Simon of Cyrene. So we are compelled to pick up the cross of Christ as Christ's disciples. Some of you are, have and are carrying great burdens. Yes, even a cross. And it's difficult and it's challenging and I do not diminish that for a moment. What I want you to see this morning as we see here Jesus Christ abused, tortured, and crucified. And yes, even dying. That through dying we have life. That as Jesus says, whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake will find it. And that all of these things that we endure in this life is a part of that. 
experiencing where true life really lies. I heard a quote this week from Chris Larson, the president of Ligonier Ministries. He said this, few are weaker than the proud. Few are weaker than the proud, but none are stronger than the humble, the broken, and the contrite. And there's no picture greater than that, than that of the cross. It's so opposite of what we normally think, but isn't that what we've seen throughout the Gospel of Mark? That the call of Christ is always contrary to what we would normally think, our normal self. So much so that it seems that up is down and down is up. But it all comes into focus and clarity at the cross. Where there's strength and weakness, where there's blessing and suffering, where there's life in death. And so for you that are struggling physically, emotionally, spiritually, you might think, what is wrong? And by all means, don't hear me wrong. Seek relief. Seek comfort. Seek strength. We are not to be unnecessary martyrs. But in the midst of such affliction, no matter what it is, Perhaps instead of saying, what is wrong? Perhaps we should ask, what is right? What you'll find that is right is that you'll find Jesus not absent from the cross, but in it. In his cross as well as in yours. That he is present in and through the cross. In fact, in the cross, in his crucifixion, and as we will see, as well as in his resurrection, we find hope, we find a meaning, we find purpose. The cross is where all the wrongs of the world are made right, and even eternally so. And therefore, the cross is the only solution for a broken and sinful world. For broken and sinful sinners like you and me. So that is why Jesus said, Blessed are not the rich or the glad or the proud or the satisfied. Rather, he said, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst. After more. After more than what this life will give. And so yes, this morning, as we look at the cross, we do not shy away from it. We do not try to hide it. We do not try to think that it is absent of the Christian life. No, we put it front and center. And we boast in the cross. Because we boast in the Lord Jesus Christ who was crucified on that cross. We recognize that it is the symbol of salvation as well as the symbol of the Christian life. And so as the hymn writer said, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That the Christian life is one of both weakness and of strength. 
of suffering and of blessing, of death and also of life. We live in this constant tension, this seeming contradiction. But the Lord is present through it all. It was in the midst of that suffering and that affliction that Luther wrote probably one of his famous articles. And he called it the theology of the cross. And there he wrote that God may seem hidden to our eyes in the midst of suffering and pain and affliction. But it's always revealed. That God is always revealed. And he's always present in and through the cross. He is both the suffering servant as well as the king. So, beloved, this morning, this is thy king. Run not from him, but run to him. And there you'll find all that you need. For truly he has died to set his people free. Let us go to him even now. Lord, we can't help but be humbled. At what a cost. At what suffering and affliction that you endured for our sake. And Lord, we even confess to you that we can read such a passage and knowing it so well. Can read it with coldness in our hearts. Not recognizing all that it means. All that it means in general and all that it means specifically for us as individuals. But this day, O Lord, may we once again come back to the cross. To stare at it in the midst of the shame and in the midst of the humiliation. But at the same time, see the glory and the triumph that takes place through Christ being crucified. That he is our crucified Lord and Savior. And he has done so for us, O Lord. Lost sinners. But lost sinners that are now set free. Because of the cross. But Lord, we pray and ask that even as you said you would, that you would never leave us nor forsake us. But that you would be present with us. That in the midst of the trials and tribulations and afflictions, and yes, even Crosses that we must bear, O oh Lord, that we'd find your presence there, that you'd comfort us and strengthen us, so that in one day, in our dying, both in our continual dying but our last breath, we may truly find life and find that in you we have all that we need, that you are the sufficient Savior for all of our sin. And indeed, all of our weaknesses. We thank you for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this day, O Lord, we boast in nothing but the cross. We cling to it, O Lord, for we cling to Christ. And the salvation that is found in him. We pray this all in his name. Amen.